0: old school and my favorite interviews are with book authors
1: book club with michael smirconish is now in session
0: hey today's the release date of a book titled god's bankers a history of money and power at the vatican gerald posner is the author i've read it i think it is tremendous and i'm pleased to have him back on the program hey gerald congratulations on your work
2: michael thanks so much Uh, great to be with you again
0: Nine years in the making, right?
2: Yeah, I will tell you that if you had said to me uh, nine years ago you'd be working on uh, you know the Vatican Bank and uh, the finances of the Vatican this long, I would have said, Michael, you know you're you're crazy. Uh, no way, it can't be that large of a story. And every time I got to one stage, I'd have to expand it a few more years. The next thing I knew, what I thought would be a a fifteen year look became a two hundred year history.
0: Well, the good news is that having read it, I can now do arm curls with it, because it's 700-plus <laughs> pages, 200-plus pages of footnotes. I mean, a lot of research went into this.
2: Uh, it did. Well, you know, the great thing is that um, I thought I would get the research. I was hoping to get the research from the Vatican itself, that uh, it might actually uh, cooperate and I applied for access to their secret archives um, and although they are secret and sealed they have in the past given sometimes they've allowed some historians and researchers in they said no to my request on this and then they also sort of ignored every request for an interview so I had to do it the old-fashioned way, which was to go out to the uh, archives in different countries, ranging from Romania to Poland to Germany uh, to some in Switzerland to here in the U.S. and down in South America, look for court cases, and then start the process of interviews. And I think that's why it also took so long. I had to put the story, piece it together from a bit of puzzles from files scat- that were scattered around.
0: Gerald, uh, among your many books, you wrote a particular book about Dr. Joseph Mengele, the angel of death, And in the course of researching that book, it sparked your interest into whether the church had arranged passage of Nazis like him post-World War II to South America. Is, Is that what then eventually led you to look toward the bank?
2: Yes. I mean, you're exactly right. I was actually, As you're an attorney, um, I'm an attorney. I'm a non-practicing one. But back in the early 80s, when I was still practicing, I did a pro bono lawsuit for a couple of twins of Auschwitz who had survived Joseph Mengele's uh, barbaric experiments at the camp. And we were thrown out of federal court on a doctrine of sovereign immunity that we couldn't sue Germany or the Mengele family 40 years after the war. But I'd done a lot of research, and some of it was in Argentina, where by serendipity and luck, I got into the the federal police files, and there I saw some Nazi files, and in there was information about how some of those Nazis had arrived with the assistance of bishops and priests in the Vatican. And I put that in the back of my mind, Michael. I thought it would be a great story to get back to. I always wanted to, but I thought the story was just about Vatican assistance in World War II. It turned out I greatly underestimated it. It was more about money, with the Vatican assistance in World War II being part of the story, but it was the money in the Vatican that eventually became the, the real subject.
0: Why I ask you this on CNN, but I want to ask you again on on radio. Why does the Vatican have a
2: bank? (laughs) Well, you ask a question. I laugh only because that question is asked often, and, and Pope Francis was one of the first popes ever to ask that question himself when he took office in 2013. He said, I'm going to either reform this bank or I I may dissolve it. Because a lot of people have asked why the Vatican needs a bank. There's only one shareholder. It's the Pope. It's not a traditional bank. and It doesn't have any requirement to turn a profit. It doesn't make loans. It never has. So it's not a bank that makes loans. Um, It processes payments and transfers money on behalf of the Vatican, a lot of it being in cash. And because the Vatican is a sovereign country. Nobody else can look at that bank or have any oversight over it. It's been abused for years because the men who choose to become clerics and priests and then move up in the Vatican hierarchy and become bishops and cardinals and the pope aren't known necessarily for their financial acumen. They may be spiritual people, but they aren't very good at finances. They've shown time and again over the history of this bank that they've allowed it's, that institution to be misused by people with really nefarious purposes.
0: Is, is the bank paying taxes? Does the bank have shareholders apart from the pope are they are they attempting to turn a profit what's the goal
2: uh, they, they don't have any shareholders, and uh, they, uh, uh, one of the interesting things is uh, they, they don't have any uh, oversight in that sense. They, uh, they aren't res- uh, responsible to, uh, to have any. They don't, they've started just the last year to give reports. They do try to turn a profit. They want to make money. It is in the end, and I'm convinced that this is in the DNA of the Vatican Bank, and this is, it starts in World War II in the middle of the war. Its, its primary purpose has been green, meaning that it always wants to chase the the money. It's looking for better investments, and often they are high risk. That means at times they traded with what we call the enemy in the war. It means they got involved with some Italian and, and American financiers that were really speculative and later turned out to be criminal. They took money from wealthy Italians and sometimes from mobsters, for money laundering that they made money off of, but they've turned a profit often, and that money then is given over to the Pope. It serves the Pope only
0: you you deal extensively in the brand new book God's bankers with that whole world war 2 chapter and i think it's not too strong a word i'll use it collusion between the church and the nazi regime
2: yeah i think that uh i'm the First author that I know of in this setting to put forth the idea you know there have been debates over the years about uh, the, whether the church was too quiet during the Holocaust, whether the Pope at the time uh, Pius the Twelfth could have said more about the Nazi atrocities and maybe would have stopped Hitler, would it have worked or not? People have talked about why he was quiet, but nobody 's ever raised the idea that one of the motivating factors for his silence was money, and I say that very very directly, and that is because. He formed the bank together with the top money men at the Vatican right in the middle of the war in 1942 so they could move around money and stay away from British and American intelligence who were sort of looking to make sure there was no trading with the enemy. And it's not, Michael, that I think they wanted the Germans to win. It's that they were doing business with both sides because they didn't know who would win. And when the war was over, they wanted to be positioned to just move forward. And that's exactly what they did. When the war started to turn bad against the Germans in '43 and '44, you start to see the Vatican Bank cutting some of its connections to German and Italian insurance companies where they had been reaping big profits and getting ready for the Allies to win. By the time the Allies won, the Pope was in their camp as the next anti-communist warrior. So they moved very adeptly just following the money but staying on the side of the winning party.
0: Well, I guess that was a question I wanted to ask. Maybe it was it was all about ideology, not money. Maybe maybe such was the hatred of communism that the church was willing to do business with fascists.
2: Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. There is no doubt. You know, as, as with anything in life, there, there's a number of factors that that get involved in this. And one of the key factors was the absolute fright that the the Catholic Church had in the 30s and the the 40s about Bolshevism and communism because they knew that the Russians were equal opportunity atheists. They were eliminating temples and and synagogues, uh, churches across the board. And although they were wary in some ways of Hitler, uh, they liked Mussolini a bit more, they preferred them and fascism and Nazism to Bolshevism, so there's no doubt that, that that was part of the reason.
0: Does Gerald Posner believe that the church washed Nazi gold? Is there Nazi gold in St. Peter's today?
2: There's n- uh, well, it's a great question. We don't know because there are a number of questions that I think St. Francis could, uh, that Pope Francis, excuse me, sainthood a few decades already, that Pope Francis could ask the Vatican Bank to release publicly. The answers are inside the bank as to whether they received. Gold from a doctor, Petracci, who had been Pius XI's uh, a personal doctor, and whether they received gold from a, a priest in Croatia where the bank, the sort of the national reserves, had been looted by fascists who were leaving Italy. Uh, those reports are there. I talk about them in the book as to whether any of that stayed inside the Vatican, those are buried inside the Vatican files.
0: Others have, have written of the, my word, collusion between the church and the Nazis, but you raise a, a new wrinkle to this, and that is that you raise the prospect that the founder of the bank was himself a Nazi spy.
2: So, uh, one of the, uh, the the discoveries is a document from the National Archives, you're right, that's, that has the name Nagaro, who happens to be the last name of the head of the Vatican Bank, on a uh, paper that was drawn up as a chart of Nazi intelligence inside of Italy in 1943, drawn up for American intelligence after the war. It raises the very real possibility that the head of the Vatican Bank was a, a German agent. Now, the question that we can't answer, I can't answer today, based upon my research, is... If that's correct, was he really working for Germany, or was he in fact a double agent providing the information back to the Americans or British? It could be an American or British intelligence file that hasn't yet been declassified, or was he simply in contact with the Germans in order to make sure that he had the best business opportunities for the Vatican Bank? So there are questions of real history and importance here that can be answered, but they are sitting in Rome, and, and this pope is trying to reform things. The question is whether he's looking not just to the future, but to the past. Will he have the courage to also be transparent about the past and open up those files? I hope so.
0: Gerald, as you know, I was reading an advance copy of your book, this 700-plus page book titled God's Bankers, A History of Money and Power at the Vatican. I was reading it during the course of of, of a Christmas vacation, and... VR training platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real
2: patients.
1: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
2: Learn more at meta.com/slash/metaverseimpact.
1: Caesar's Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesar's Rewards. Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app.
0: Buried within the book, I see reference to my hometown, the community in which I was born and raised. You tell the story and I, I, I want to bring it up for a national audience because I think it's it's illustrative of uh, the way in which the bank functions. You tell a story of how some Pauline fathers responsible for Our Lady of Shenzhova in the suburbs of Philadelphia were alleged to have been involved in financial improprieties and that ultimately it was Pope John Paul II very fresh into his papacy that came to their rescue and relied on the Vatican Bank. Can you offer the Cliff's Note version of that story?
2: Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, these, these Pauline monks had been embroiled in a financial scandal uh, where they were accused of looting literally millions of dollars—you uh, know, quarter million dollars—that had been given for masses that were never said, four hundred thousand dollars for bronze plaques that were never put up, and by the time. Pope Paul took uh, the papacy in one thousand nine hundred seventy eight There were claims by parishioners totaling millions of dollars. Uh, the Cardinal of Philadelphia was having a fundraising campaign to raise the money and had raised part of it, but not enough. And when the new Pope came in he stopped not only that investigation into the Paulines, because there is sort of a shrine to a Polish, it has a Polish connection that's particularly important to the incoming Pope, but he called in the head of the Vatican Bank, who was then an American bishop, and was himself under fire for a scandal. And instead of dismissing him or chastising him, he utilized that head of the Vatican Bank to send several million dollars over to Philadelphia that helped to pay off those Claims that were then pending against the monks and settled that issue once and for all. Um, again, the exact details hidden inside the Vatican bank files, but it's the, that is how popes have in the past used the bank and why it's so important to the Vatican.
0: Well, and the, the common denominator of those participants was Polish heritage. The the Philadelphia cardinal, the the Pauline monks, the brand new pope all had that in common. And what you reveal in the book is that. The, the, the head of the church that was in trouble in the suburbs of Philadelphia had paid a call upon uh, Cardinal Wat- Watoya before he became Pope John Paul. No one could have known that he was going to become the pope because he was seeking his counsel. And so very soon thereafter, when he's elevated to the position of pope, he's already in the loop on this financial scandal that's playing itself out in the States.
2: That's exactly right. But it was complete serendipity that the the head of the the Pauline monks, himself Polish, had made the trip to see the senior cardinal in Poland and the future pope just days before John Paul I died, and then um, literally a couple of weeks later, uh, the Wojtysia well, became the next pope, uh, and what was laid down in that meeting, meaning that the Vatican Bank bailed out the, the uh, this uh, shrine and the monks in in the, in the suburb of Philadelphia. I, I notice
0: that you're I notice you're avoiding saying the name because you're fearful of the pronunciation. Ah, uh, yeah, you
2: know I will tell you that I've practiced chestahova many times. Chestahova, there you go. And I know, but I'm just <laughs> I do see people grimace occasionally when I say Chestahova. You're right, <laughs> but um, that became. The, the, the sort of what I call the, uh, the, the template for how they operate in the future. So John Paul II then used the same American head of the Vatican Bank to help fund the Solidarity Movement in Poland against the communist government. I relate a story in, in the book for the first time where 2.3, uh, over $3 million in gold ingots were put into the side panels of an SUV and into the fake bottom, and a priest drove it from Italy to Gdansk. Uh, that money was from the Vatican. Bank and help fund the resistance uh, against the communist government.
0: I, I have to say that the most interesting character in the book is the individual you're referring to, Paul Casimir Marcinkas, the right. American.
2: He he is a classic character. You know he's Lithuanian, out of Chicago, from Cicero, uh, and he's the highest-ranking American uh, in the Vatican uh, at at any time. He would have been a cardinal if it had not been for the scandals over the the Vatican Bank. He's 6'3", oh, six foot th- three, almost six four. Looked more like a bodyguard. He w- he arranged logistically the travels for the popes early on, and some American uh, media thought he was the bodyguard for the Pope. And he once did save the Pope when when a knife wielding attacker had attacked. Act one pope in Manila, but he was. Uh, they liked him. He had a great personality. Was outgoing. Some of the other people inside the Vatican were very, very jealous of him. But he moved up fast. They moved him into finances, even though he knew nothing. He admitted he read a few books. He became head of the bank, and unfortunately for the Vatican Bank, Michael. He was a great risk taker. He got involved with some sharp guys in Italy, one of whom ended up dead under a bridge in London in 1982, and another who ended up dead with a cyanide capsule in his mouth in prison in in the late 1980s. Those were his two major partners. It was not good news.
0: Gerald, uh, has the church yet reacted to the publication of the book?
2: Uh, they have not, and I've sent a personal copy with a letter to Pope Francis uh, saying, in essence, uh, Your Holiness, with all due respect, uh, you know I know you're doing your very best to reform the bank. Uh, this is the history of the bank, but it is now your history because you are the vicar of Christ on earth. So you've inherited this history once you were selected as pope, and I hope that you will look at it and it will remind you of the importance of your reform efforts. He's unpredictable. Maybe I'll get a call from him one day, or maybe they'll continue to ignore. Army.
0: Your father, Jewish, mother, Catholic. You were raised Catholic. You yourself educated by Jesuits.
2: Yes, I mean, Sisters of Charity for eight years is grammar school and then four years with the Jesuits. Um, I, I felt as though, even though my father was Russian Jewish, uh, uh, I felt as though I was Italian Catholic growing up. So I, I have those Catholic DNA roots, but I also have the Italian roots, Michael. And what that tells me is I understand sometimes the chaos pandemonium inside the Vatican Bank and the Vatican itself, meaning that it is a reflection of the culture in Italy. We've had over 55 governments there. We have scandal after scandal. Uh, There's times with incestuous and nepotism. Why would we think that a a, a bureaucracy, a curia, a church that's over 90% Italian inside its hierarchy, used to be 98% Italian, would be much different than their brothers and sisters who are running the country next door? So I think that Latin type of... um, laissez-faire that has allowed sometimes corruption to to grow also infected the Vatican. If this church had been placed in Germany 2,000 years ago by Peter, it would be a very different church than it is in the center of Rome.
0: Congratulations on the book. It's titled God's Bankers, A History of Money and Power at the Vatican. The author is Gerald Posner. Gerald, thank you so much for being here.
2: Michael, thank you so much for having me on.
0: All right. That's Gerald Posner, the author of that brand new book. I, I uh, Among his other and previous titles, I should mention, the one that I enjoyed the most was Case Closed. And, Kennedy. and he, he wrote what I regard as the definitive book about the Kennedy assassination. And guess what? Came to the conclusion that Oswald killed Kennedy and acted alone. You know, hundreds of books have been floated, raising every kind of theory about what went on in uh, Dealy Plaza but it, but it was Gerald's book that says you know what the Warren Commission warts and all they got it right you know what god's bankers makes me think of Tell is me. dan brown and dante's inferno and those that series of kind of books because oh my gosh you could put make a movie out of that it's not i mean it's i know it's real but it, it's it's like a i can see it on the big screen today's the release date i think the book is going to get a tremendous amount of attention and and deservedly so and deservedly so and i don't regard it as a hit job uh, against the church I think it's very well documented very well researched and I don't think that he had an agenda as he set out to write about the world of of Vatican finances
1: Book club with Michael Smirkanish new episodes drop Mondays Wednesdays and Fridays listen to the Michael Smirkanish program weekdays on Sirius XM's Potus channel 124 and anytime on the sxmf
2: connect with Michael on Facebook Twitter YouTube and at smirkanish.com.